Welcome to our latest episode in our podcast series looking at the FCA's consumer duty. My name is Duncan Campbell and I'm a senior associate in Linklater's financial regulation practice in London and I'm joined by my colleague Sarah Cody who's a counsel in the same team. Hi everyone, it's great to be here. So today we're talking about the obligations that firms have under the consumer duty to monitor, gather and exchange information with others in the distribution chain. Now the consumer duty contains extensive monitoring and testing obligations and firms are busy working out where and how they need to uplift their existing data collection and analysis to meet this challenge. But the consumer duty doesn't just stop there. It breaks new ground by obliging firms in a distribution chain to exchange information with one another, including about their products, their value assessments, their uh, product reviews, including sales and distribution arrangements, and also the remedial steps that they may be taking. And whilst PROD imposed similar obligations on firms that conduct MIFID business, this is really the first time that this type of obligation has been extended across the entire industry and with such a degree of granularity. That's right. And it's really easy, I think, to feel overwhelmed by this. So what we want to do today is spend a little bit of time thinking about how firms actually go about meeting these obligations. We're going to cover a brief outline of the key data and monitoring obligations under the duty, high-level guiding principles, some examples of specific data points you might want to consider, some thoughts on monitoring and assurance and exchanging information with others in the chain. To help us think through how firms can go about identifying what to monitor and how, we're joined by our special guest, Richard Green from AssetQ. Welcome. Hi, everyone. And uh, it's, yeah, it's great to be here. Richard, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you and your firm are involved in this space? So my background's really in um, investment banking technology by trade. And more recently, I've moved into due diligence as part of ASICQ as a director at that company, where we've been really focused on that exchange of information in the context of due diligence between manufacturers and distributors. We've just launched our consumer duty support within the ASICQ platform. And it's really focused on allowing both the distributors and the manufacturers to comply with consumer duty in terms of their information exchange, also their issue tracking, but crucially deal with that gap in the market, which is the feedback between distributor and manufacturer for them to evolve their own product offering. Let's set the stage from a legal perspective, and it's worth just spending a couple of minutes doing this. The consumer duty does contain monitoring and testing obligations, but it doesn't contain a general obligation for firms to exchange the results of that monitoring and testing. And actually, the information exchange obligations are sort of targeted. First, co-manufacturers must agree in writing what their respective roles and responsibilities are in the product approval process and also in the value assessment. And then building on that, there are obligations under outcomes one, two, and three. So in outcome one, and that's the products and services outcome all about product design, a manufacturer needs to give distributors information about the product, like the characteristics of the product, the target market as well, and the needs of the target market, including the needs of vulnerable customers, and then also the intended distribution strategy. And then in outcome two, which is the price and value outcome, a manufacturer needs to give 
distributors enough information about the manufacturer's value assessment to enable the distributor to understand the value that the product is intended to provide. And then under outcome three, which is the communications, the understanding outcome, firms need to give to one another information that they reasonably require to be communicated to retail customers. Duncan, I think there are a few more sort of free-flowing obligations, aren't there? Yeah, that's right. So a distributor on a manufacturer's request is obliged to provide information that is needed for the manufacturer's own product reviews. And this could include sales information and also information on the reviews the distributor might carry out of its distribution arrangements. And then there are obligations to notify other firms in the distribution chain about consumer duty issues that arise and also tell other firms about the remedial steps that a firm is taking. This includes when a firm thinks that another firm might actually be causing relevant harm. It's helpful that the information exchange obligations are targeted in this way, but I think it's a bit of a stretch just to say that they are confined. And I think lots of firms are used to gathering data around marketing, revenue generation and operational issues. But there is now this regulatory imperative under the duty to ensure that management information addresses customer outcomes. So Richard, bringing you back in here, confronted with all of this, where do you think firms should start? Are there any kind of broad principles that firms should be using to guide them here? I think at its heart for consumer duty, and I guess putting a technologist's head on, as central to this is an information exchange between both parties. So what information do you actually need? How best to obtain this? And the feedback side of this, I think, is a really important point. There's going to be issues that arise in meeting your consumer duty obligations. How am I going to log and track these? How am I going to keep the other side up to speed with those issues? And overall, how am I going to move to a, I guess, a paradigm which involves real-time engagement between the manufacturer and the distributor? And that, I think, is the really the new part of consumer duty as opposed to prod previously. So thinking about how you're going to do that, whether you do it systematically through through a digital platform or whether through manual processes. That's really helpful. Thanks, Richard. And that feedback loop is so central, isn't it, to the way the FCA want the duty to work because it's all about firms cooperating, spotting problems early and then fixing them. Okay, so breaking that down into the specifics, the first step is obviously deciding what to monitor. And firms are already doing a lot of this, but I think it's important to look at what you are monitoring through the lens of those four specific consumer duty outcomes. What are the types of data that firms can be looking at specifically to sort of address those four specific elements of the duty? I guess the theme is being explicit rather than implicit on the information you provide. So, for example, negative target market. Who is this product not suitable for? And also, what's the evidence behind that? What's the basis of that? So showing your workings in the information you send to distributors as a manufacturer is important. Another cross-cutting concern, if we look at foreseeable harm, what events are foreseeable? So stressed markets are a foreseeable event. Can you demonstrate that there's evidence on the behavior of your product such that 
you can reasonably expect to avoid foreseeable harm to the end customer. If we look at value, it's been a really big focus. Assessment of value, almost to the exclusion of the other pillars, actually. For UK registered products, we have the sort of cold style reporting where we've got these seven data points and an overall assessment value. However, there are different methodologies behind how those values are derived. So providing specifics on those methodologies and also what remediation is taking place. Again, this is all about the evidence behind the sort of headline data. If that information is distributed, then distributors can perform systematic analysis against that data and decide where they're going to flag products for review. And that's the only way you can really do this at scale. There's a lot of useful commercial data for firms in doing this as well. So there is a degree of self-interest in getting this right, I guess. Yeah, absolutely right. Particularly when we you talk about the feedback side of this as well, you get some real insights from a commercial perspective. I would also say that you can marry the information you get from the manufacturers, this sort of qualitative information, with quantitative information that you might source from another provider. And those two things become really powerful. If you start looking at some of those qualitative red flags with a significant underperformance or even overperformance next to the peer group, of that product range in the market. That might flag an issue or a concern. So turning now to the monitoring and the assurance piece, we know that reporting is only ever as good as the input that you enter into it. And there are you know, real risks, I think, about MI that looks only at the end result for the customer and doesn't sufficiently engage with the process by which that end result was arrived at. Yeah, approaching MI in that way means you can really easily miss critical issues with the process. And we have seen that play out negatively for firms in an enforcement context. Duncan, just bringing you back in here, what steps can firms take to reduce risks here? The quality of MI is relatively easy fodder for a skilled person to find weaknesses in a firm's systems and controls. And I think not just the quality of the MI, but how it's used. The collection of MI relevant to the outcomes that the consumer duty is addressing is very important to start with as a base. That we have seen skilled persons and regulators spotting issues with the adequacy of the MI presented to governance for, uh, you know, not just what MI is presented, but how it is presented and when and how it's challenged. In particular, if conduct risk reporting is underdeveloped, then there's going to be a risk that the governance documents, the evidence of the challenge and decision-making don't really show an appropriate balance of customer focus. I mean, the challenge here is to be sufficiently granular and to identify the types of data points Richard was identifying earlier. That gives you a more rounded picture of the entire customer journey. But you do need to be considered about this, and especially for high-risk groups like vulnerable customers. Firms will need to monitor and assure that their policies, their processes, their controls operate effectively, including developing targeted effective MI um, that relates specifically to those groups. So I think this is actually really key. Um, and again, thinking about this from an enforcement perspective, another area where we do see firms tripping up is where there's insufficient oversight of the data coming in. What kind of oversight can firms be thinking about here, Duncan? Firms can consider a range of options, but some useful ones are bringing in an independent testing process uh, against the customer outcomes the SCA is looking for. Another device is implementing an exceptions-based process for 
for review of MI that could identify, for example, where products are being sold outside of the intended target market or they're not being used as intended or envisaged. But when you do implement an exceptions process, you do need to ensure you calibrate the exceptions realistically so that they're not undergenerated or overgenerated. You can regularly review that complaints that customers are making to you to determine if the root cause of those complaints relates to an issue with product design or distribution strategy, including your communications and support arrangements, and also the internal processes that support those communications and support arrangements. And then you can identify issues through MI on those complaints and conduct that deep dive root cause analysis as necessary. But do watch out for scoring you might implement as part of QA processes that might focus too much on policy or process adherence and doesn't take account actually of potential customer detriment, foreseeable harm, issues with outcomes. Getting the criteria right is important because that has a big impact on how the MI can be used effectively in a consumer duty context. That's really helpful, Duncan. Thank you. That's really solid tips there. My sense is that firms want to be working towards a, a feedback loop to the wider operating model. So the issues from outcome testing and feedback from quality assurance is directly fed back into the operation. And then you get improvements being made continuously, as we, we said earlier. Being able to evidence that this is happening is also going to be absolutely crucial in a consumer duty context. Richard, is there anything you want to add here about the concept of, of MI and oversight more generally? Yeah, look, I think this is central. You need to get close to the customer and the outcomes for consumer duty. And there's no better way to do that than to get feedback as close as possible from that source. So to that end, it's really important to be able to make providing feedback from distributors simple, be able to provide color on how effective the information and the product are working in relation to consumer duty, be able to score that readily, and then to raise specific issues by exception. The reason rag scoring is important to red, amber, green, to give color to where there may be issues and then to provide detail by exception below that is because the scale of this in terms of the amount of feedback manufacturers will receive will be very large indeed. If you consider a manufacturer may have 100 funds through 100 distributors and we've got a few dozen data points on each of those. So being able to show themes where you've got less satisfied customers or funds that are problematic or functions that are problematic and then being able to dive down to look at specific issues is the only manageable way for a manufacturer to effectively process that feedback and follow this continuous cycle of improvement. Yeah, that really picks up on some very timely themes, actually, Richard, because it's all very well putting MI and oversight arrangements in place within a firm, but actually all firms in the in the market are going to be doing the same thing. And so we're now hearing firms expressing some consternation at the prospect of receiving information requests from numerous other firms in their distribution chains, each of which might have different formats, methodologies, questions to answer. Of course, that's natural because they have different businesses and therefore different needs they need to address with their internal controls. And, and that will reflect in the way they engage in dialogue with other firms. That's right. And we've been working with some of those industry bodies who are, are trying to pull together templates to make you know, life that little bit easier for their members. It's probably not going to surprise anyone to hear that that's proved to be 
you know, really quite a challenging task. There's a really difficult balance to be struck, I think, between specificity and detail and, um, you know, having something that's meaningful, but also pulling together, um, you know, a suite of information that you can standardise and that can be reproduced and exchanged at scale. Richard, do you have any thoughts on that? It's an immensely difficult problem to solve. You've got the challenge of making sure that people do participate. So it's not too onerous in terms of the, the volume of data points. But at the other extreme, you don't want it distilled to the lowest common denominator where the information is close to meaningless and you have to follow up directly. Our approach to this was to be very pragmatic about what we thought that information might look like so that it is meaningful without being onerous. The most important thing for us was to make sure that um, whatever data model we adopted was adaptable and then it would evolve. And that evolution will be natural anyway. Over time, there'll be an evolution of what information, what metrics are required to support consumer duty. And where better to refine that than in the field? I think that's one of the hardest parts about implementing the consumer duty, that ultimately an awful lot of this will level set at an industry level over time. But we don't have that knowledge now. It sounds from what you're saying, Richard, that you would favour an exchange of information that's more qualitative than quantitative. There's obviously specifics and highly detailed information from the manufacturer to the distributor, sometimes very technical. On the feedback channel from distributors, this is a somewhat new endeavor, certainly on the basis of it being mandatory when requested. So it was really important to keep that lightweight and allow very basic scorings, RAG style scorings, and then to raise issues by exception, because we still need to capture actionable issues and seeing those resolved is really important in context of consumer duty. But that would be at a sort of exception process. That way it becomes manageable because if it becomes onerous, the feedback won't happen. And that's happened historically. It's really important to make sure that there's enough participation so that you've got valuable information feeding into the continuous improvement. qualitative scoring really pushes the responsibility for setting and executing on the rationale or methodology for generating that scoring. It really pushes that responsibility back to each individual firm. And if that's the case, what measures would you suggest a firm take to discharge that responsibility? There should be some method uh, within the firm and one that they can explain as, as part of the feedback in terms of how they will score on each of these categories. And anything below green for example, should come with a comment and anything that's marked as red should be accompanied by an issue. That's the general philosophy we approached this with. So it can be used to positively affirm a manufacturer's product as well as a constructive means of providing thematic color on where you think they're going wrong. And I would say on the manufacturer side, because they can see the feedback by distributor and by fund, they can start to also understand where particular distributors may mark uh, or score them in a particular way. So it becomes a much more engaged uh, and even the feedback process itself becomes iterative in that it gets refined by saying, well, actually, you're the one distributor who thinks that we're not particularly good, for example, in terms of our timeliness of response to support issues. That starts a conversation and maybe there is a particular problem there or maybe there is just a problem between one function and another within the organisation. But establishing that and resolving that is no bad thing, even even if it's outside of consumer duty, it has great commercial value.
So that's it for this episode. Richard, thank you again for joining us. Do you have any final messages for our listeners? Thanks for allowing me the time. I I guess the final message I would say, and I I think this is not a technologist's summary, but consumer duty is not an event. It's a, a paradigm shift in the information exchange and engagement between distributor and manufacturer. So whether you approach this systematically or not, and however the FCA evolves the duty, this focus on outcomes is going to require a real-time and constant engagement between distributor and manufacturer. That now wraps up our episode. We hope you found it useful. Do check out the show notes for a link to our webpage on the consumer duty where you'll find all our insights, including our note on the final rules and our podcast series, and we'll pop a link in to Asset Q as well. And we're always here to help, so don't hesitate to contact us or anyone else at Linklaters if you would like to discuss further. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>